Speak softly loud and hold me warm against your heart. I hear your words, the tender tremor. Welcome, everyone, to Hollywood Godfather Podcast. And it's great having you with us again. I'm with my co writer and friend, Pat Picciarelli. Hi, everybody. And Megan Horan. Whoa! Hello! Wow, I love it. You've got it down. I'm practicing, man. It only took me eight (laughs) eight seasons. Uh, Our millennium, who is the beauty amongst the two beasts here. And And we've been uh, kicking around some uh, old mob stories and history of the mob with some new stuff that's coming up. And Pat brought my attention to a post article this week and I'll let him introduce it because it's, it's really very funny. <laughs> yeah, uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with the post, this is the New York Post, famous for their headlines. Uh, my favorite uh, post headline was that there was a guy, uh, this was years ago, he was uh, holding hostages in a bar, uh, in, in a topless bar after he attacked the owner, killed him and cut his head off. So Whoa. the headline post headline of the post was headless corpse and topless bar. Oh my God. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, the the gist of this story was it was a post article came out a few days ago. It seems that the uh, elders of the uh, five families are very concerned about passing the reins down to the new generation of mobsters because they say that they're uh, too attached to their technology and they don't come from the streets and all these people come from uh, Long Island or bedroom communities in New Jersey and they're uh, all they care about is, is their phones and technology and they they're not street toughened. So the, the, the reporter who wrote this article goes on to give two examples. There's one uh, uh, a uh, consigliere, uh, I forget what family he's in. Uh, it really doesn't make a difference. Oh, an alleged Colombo consigliere, Ralph uh, DiMatteo, 66 years old. He's been on the lam for a while, uh, and he's been staying hidden until his son, in his infinite wisdom, takes a picture of him relaxing poolside in Florida and posts it on social media. <laughs> Needless to say, Daddy was in custody within 24 hours. Oh my gosh! Are aware of this, but any picture that appears on Facebook, Instagram, any social media, is time stamped and location stamped. Uh, you don't see it on the picture; it's embedded, but it's very easy to pull up. I mean, if I can do it, I mean, kids can do this. Well, you're a detective, though. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't know how to do that. <laughs> this is why. I, this is why I always tell my friends. Uh, not to post pictures of the kids on uh, on social media, uh, because you know anybody, uh, any uh, pedophile that's with the description knows how to pull this information up. Unfortunately, so do the feds. So they lock uh, Ralph uh, DiMatteo up, and a couple of days later, uh, some other idiot uh, is involved in an extortion scheme. And he was threatening the uh, the guy he was going to extort uh, cash from the person, but the guy didn't come up with the money. So 
he texts him and threatens his life if he doesn't come up with the extortion money. <laughs> On a text. This is a young. This is a young kid who did this. Yeah, yeah obviously the, the the new the new regime. Yeah, the okay. new generation of of uh, mobsters. I mean, this is like robbing a bank. And then taking a picture of the money and posting it on Facebook with you. And but well, wouldn't they get some sort of advice from their elders not to do such a thing? Well, they probably did, but, you know. And they don't want to know anything about electronics. They don't talk on phones. True. Whether it be cell phones, landlines, you know. Right. They don't want anything to do with technology because technology gets you in trouble. But you're correct in saying they should have passed the word down. Stay off your phones. But the point of the article is... These guys can't do it. They're just like anybody else of that similar. It's just age. second nature. It's like any sort of meeting, correspondence, anything is all done over technology, which is all traceable. So yeah. I don't even know how how it's gonna last or how people aren't gonna get caught more often. Well, the word is out. You know, it's, what's going to happen is there's going to be sanctions for these guys uh, using the phone at all. This is like the new you can't deal in drugs. Uh, dictum by the by the mob, so you can't deal in drugs, and now you can't talk on social media. Period. I'm not talking about you know when you're in a meeting or uh, you, you, you're doing some kind of illegal work. You just can't do it. Period. It's mm -hmm. got to be out. It's 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 it's. it's well, eventual. that's why I mean, I mean, unfortunately, I'm old enough to know when they you know used to walk and talk, come in and got to talk to you, and then when you got to the club or any restaurant. You go take a walk with the guy, and the both of them are walking with their with their hands over their own mouths, like they were picking their teeth with a, a toothpick, which they used to simulate that anyway, just so that the feds who were following them couldn't read their lips. Now these guys, <laughs> these guys are giving them roadmaps to where they are. That's so, that's so FBI bad. has uh, lip readers. Why not? Now, how many pictures have you seen with uh, Sammy the Bull walking around the the block on Mulberry Street? with John Gotti. Oh, yeah. Either these guys are really into exercise or they just don't want to be picked up. And and you never see them with their hands away from their mouths. Never. Just to disguise what they're doing. Well, that's what I'm saying. That that's, that's a great example of the old regime. And now, can you imagine telling the kid, leave the car, uh, the, the phone in the car and shut it off and come and talk to me? They don't talk. They're on the phones and they're texting. I mean, you know, what's going to happen? <laughs> That's somebody's all they do. Get, somebody's going to get whacked before they take it seriously. Well, and I even think about, you know, everything is filmed nowadays. Oh People God. are constantly videos, pictures, and everything's always posted to the public. I mean, you think about TikTok. People post any video they've ever taken, and somebody could just be in the background and not even know that they're on camera. It's not even like just the FBI's on them. It's like every every camera out there could be pointed at them and they don't even know. Right. I know uh, FBI agents uh, who uh, watch championship fights on the pay-per-view for the sole purpose of not watching the fight, but watching who's watching the fight ringside. Yeah. You, you get a lot of gangsters there and some of them are, are fugitives. And there's been plenty of people caught that way. Funny. But yeah. the, the topic of tonight's show is, is really interesting to me because, um, well, w when we get into it, I'll, I'll add to it and elaborate on the conversations I had by some of the players that we're going to be talking about tonight. Because I, oh. I really, uh, this was a big part of my growing up as a kid. 
and with the same situation, you know, getting the rules from the old god, like a Frank Costello or Maya Lansky or, you know, uh, Tony Accardo. These guys were so cautious, and uh, that's why most people only knew me by the kid, because there's no way you even find out who the guy was. But um, why don't you introduce what we're talking about tonight as our main topic? Okay, uh, we're going to talk about Vito Genovese, and this, so since we've had a podcast, his name comes up every now and then. We're going to be focusing on him because there's a lot of things people don't know except what they see in the movies, and uh, why he was such a force to be reckoned with. Uh, it basically started with a guy named Harry Anslinger, who was uh, the boss of the uh, Federal Bureau of Narcotics and Dangerous Drugs, which was the precursor to the DEA. And after the Appalachian mob meeting and we'll get into that in a second for those of you who don't know what that is he made it his crusade to target Vito Genovese because uh, uh, Genovese didn't have any qualms about uh, importing vast amount of heroin into this, this country and the Appalachian mob meeting which took place in Appalachia New York in 1957 which, which was a, a, a conclave of the most high-ranking gangsters in the United States meeting at Joseph Barbera's house, which was off the beaten path, off a main road. Uh, and they all decided to meet together. And the Genovese was one of them at the meeting. And uh, there's been plenty of uh, uh, movies made where, where this is highlighted. To see these gangsters in $5,000 suits and uh, pointy alligator shoes running through cow pastures, getting hung up by barbed wire, it was embarrassing. Well, the, the thing that was most embarrassing to when, when you see it, just for our audience who didn't see the footage, the state police, who was very much aware of all these limousines all of a sudden coming up <laughs> to this farmhouse with yeah. these, you know, elaborate cars. And, you know, it, it, was, it was just a, imagine just put up a, a flare and say, here we are, we're coming up here. Well, you know, they also, back then, uh, you couldn't drive far in cars. The mob frowned upon it. So everybody had a black Cadillac. Yep. So a, a uh, uh, you know, a hundred black Cadillacs pool into this town of 300 people, and uh, it got the state police's attention. And they just followed one of the cars down to this two-mile driveway to get to Barbera's house. And uh, they knew they had something, but they didn't know what they had. In fact, they really didn't have anything except the, the, the mobsters that were out on parole couldn't uh, consort with other mobsters, and that's all they had. Nobody went to jail out of this, by the way. It no. was just it was an embarrassment. And, uh, and that's, you know, the funniest thing about that, that's when those meetings stopped. And yeah. then what they did do, and I know this for a fact because Costello was there and a lot of people that were there, they set up hotels. So in New York City, they met at the Waldorf. In Chicago, they met at the, at the uh, Palmer House. And in L.A., they met at the Wilshire Hotel, Beverly Wilshire Hotel. It's still there on, on Sunset Boulevard. Well, this is smart. First of all, they on aren't Wilshire on the ground. Wilshire Boulevard. Yeah, they aren't on the ground. So anybody doing any type of surveillance has to go up to whatever floor they're on or uh, you know, try to uh, uh, take pictures through windows, which, of course, are covered. So that's a, at least that's an extra added layer of security. But this Appalachian thing, and they, they all went there because they said the, Joe Barbera was sick and they wanted to see how he was doing. <laughs> what kind of an excuse? <laughs> yeah, Joe Barbera was sick. He had a cold. 
So you got a hundred of the most influential mobsters in, in the country there running up there with Kleenex, you know, just to see how he's doing. And I mean, it was it was embarrassing. These people are covered in mud. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, ripped up suits and everything. They were running through the fields. Yep. Yeah. Some got away. Uh, uh, Castellano didn't get away. He was a young boss then. He was a captain. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, Anslinger didn't like uh, Genovese's attitude. Uh, Genovese was known to be extremely ruthless. In fact, there's a story about him having his eye on a chorus girl in a in a in a, in a club in Brooklyn. She was married, uh, which, uh, you know, put a damper on, on, on him asking her to go out. So he threw her husband off a roof or had it done. Yes. And it, that's the kind of guy he was. Uh, but there was also uh, myths about his, his uh, famous drug arrest. You know, he eventually, uh, Anslinger got him, but he didn't get him the way you read about uh, uh, some of the rumors. And uh, there was uh, a movie about Joe Valachi. Where they they uh, they had a scene where uh, uh, Genovese is in his house and the feds kick down the door and they go to a closet and they open it up and there's like four kilos of heroin in his closet. How stupid can that be? He's the boss. He's not going to have anything to do with drugs. Uh, the way it really happened, and I, I did some research over the weekend. Well, you know what what you're about to say to me was so shocking when I heard it because I knew. Two of the main players was Costello and Mylansky, so I mean, yeah, yeah. they 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 were. I mean, I talked to them about it years later, and it's uh, it's. I I well, tell them the story how it went. It's crazy. Well, they were looking for a snitch, and you say, well, that's easy. Well, it might be easy these days uh, when you have a Rico hanging over your head, but not back then. No one flipped. This is 1957. Yep. I was looking for a snitch from 1956. But before Joe Volacci testified before a uh, congressional committee in 1964, where he exposed the fact that there really is a mafia, and they call it La Cosa Nostra, and the initiation rights. This guy had a photographic memory. Prior to him flipping, no one ever turned. No. Nope. Uh, uh, when you took the oath, it meant something. So to, to try to find somebody that can work their way in was difficult, and it took a while. So they they uh, uh, focus in on this this uh, one guy. Uh, I forgot his uh, his name is listed in my notes. But it make a difference. He's a low level mob guy. wasn't even an associate. Uh, he was in and out of uh, uh, prisons for forgery. He actually did six months for marijuana possession. I mean, that's, you're talking about a long time ago. Now, no one gets locked up for marijuana, unless you got 40 pounds. So uh, at this point, he became a card shop, a con man, and finally a drug trafficker. He was a low-level street mutt. That's all he was. But he had big dreams. And he gets, uh, he's in and out of jails. Uh, he was found guilty numerous times. He uh, went to Sing Sing for four years, and uh, the informant uh, moves into the narcotics business upon his release as a way of paying off a, a loan shark, a man, an Italian guy, known to his peers as Charlie the Wop. I wonder how they figured out that name. Anyway, 
was a member of the crime family run by Albert Anastasia. So they're roping in Albert Anastasia. Uh, this guy, Charlie the Wop, whose real name was Charles Barcelona. Uh, uh, a guy named Jackie Balls. How do I get these names, man? <laughs> uh, 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 you know, the interesting thing, where you're going with this, it's, it's, it's funny because in 1957, just to let our audience know, that was the same time Vito Genovese put a hit on Costello, and that was the first time that, you know, without going to the commission, because when what people don't know in our audience, Frank Costello was running the Genovese family while he was in prison. And nobody realized that Costello was looking to get out of this. He didn't want to be a day-to-day -day boss. He was a lot smarter than that. But what really pissed him off, and it should have, they got Chin, who was his, trying to get make his bones. They gave him the contract, and I still, yep, yeah, I still don't understand how, in an elevator, at close range, you miss the guy shooting him in the head. <laughs> well, it's supposedly, according to the research I did, you know, Genovese sanctioned a hit. He organized it. I know, but he didn't get. <laughs> He he could sanction it. He still has to go to the commission at a guy that level. It's the same thing with John Gotti did by killing Paul Castellano. He didn't get permission. He already I know that. Uh, but uh, Genovese didn't get permission either to go after Costello. How could he have? How could he have? There was no way they were going to give it up. He's going to go. Well, the commission at that time was uh, uh, just starting. First of all, Maya was the organizer of it. But the sitting guys was Carlo Gambino. Although you're not going to have Carlo go against Frank because they, they was attached by the hip. Yeah. And that's that's how the whole thing unraveled later. And, and Tony Ocado loved Costello. They used to go bass fishing on the weekends. I mean, these were close allies. And they weren't going to do it for Vito because they knew, like you pointed out, Vito was a maniac killer if he wanted to be. He was a, this guy was treacherous. He was a well on, on top of being crazy. He was a loose cannon. His his ideal was was to, to get involved heavily in heroin. Oh, because of the money. Well, yeah, but no, I mean, this was at a time, and it's hard for people who realize what's going on now. Everybody's involved in heroin. You know, they turn a blind eye. Oh, yeah. You're making the money unless you get caught at it then, then you're screwed but back then i mean they were serious about this you do not get involved with drugs and nobody did till genovese comes along who's the boss gonna change all that so people had to go and costello was one of them but uh, like you say how do you miss shooting a guy in an elevator i think chin you know wanted to make his bones he was attached to genovese as a soldier, and as history knows it now, Chin took over the Genovese family until he died. I mean, he was, yeah. a, he was a major boss. But I think he saw that as an opportunity, and he, he took the contract. And I don't, you know, I think he, maybe a wink-wink between Costello and him, you miss me, don't worry about this guy, we're getting rid of him anyway. Well, that was a hell of a miss because he did shoot him in the head. Oh, he grazed him along the yeah. I know. I mean, I, I would, I would, if I was Costello, I wouldn't say, okay, let's let's work together on this. You can shoot me in the head, but make sure it's all to the right a little. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's just. Well, let me say say something to you about that. I I know 
what went on. If, if you being a cop and familiar with firearms, if I drew my gun and took my gun and laid it in the hatband and shot it, I'm burning your hatband, part of your skin, and that's it. Well, if that's the way it happened, yeah, but it was like three or four feet away, that's taking a chance. But it wasn't. No, that's the way it happened. <laughs> okay. And, right, that, well then, and, that, and that's from Costello's mouth. That's how it happened. <laughs> well, then you could see that there was collusion there. But of then, course. Getting back to Vito, uh, the uh, informant agrees to transport uh, narcotics uh, from uh, uh, Charlie, uh, Barcelona, for $1,000 from uh, Tampa uh, through Cleveland into New York. Vincent Giganti was a big pro heroin guy. Uh, he he agreed with uh, Genovese uh, on that point only. They were each fighting for power at the time, but uh, heroin was the way to go. Even in the movie The Godfather, I mean that's that's the whole. Oh yeah, hello. That was the whole premise. That, that's how everything changes. Because that's Solatro. Yep. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, Genovese attended some of these meetings because they're passing this heroin uh, from the informant to uh, Giganti and every anybody else who was there. And there were some names, uh, John Amento. Uh, yeah, these are big names uh, uh, now. Uh, and it, it, it looked like they had a, a fairly much of a, a free reign. They were organizing a pipeline from Marseille, France, which was the point of uh, embarkation of heroin to the United States. So Genovese makes the mistake, allegedly, of attending some of these meetings. So there was no heroin in his closet. He wasn't, he wasn't that overt about it. But the point here is, did Genovese really attend these meetings? That's, that, that's, that's what's a, 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 a point of conjecture here. Uh, people say he was framed, and I tend to go along with that. Oh, he definitely was framed. He was framed, I'm telling you, by who? Costello and Gambino, because he went around them, and they got rid of him. But they needed person. a witness, and this informant. Oh testified. yeah, of course. And he testified in great detail. So I mean, there's there's people on the pro and con of this. I mean, this guy was an informant, wasn't a bright guy, but this is what I saw, and he testified, and he was believed. No, but the Just, only thing he had to do, first of all, his his debt was eradicated, and all he had to do. As every every meeting he went to, that he saw Vito Genovese there, there was no that's big. All that's all he had to say, and he said that I saw him there six different times, and gave him yeah. the dates of the meetings because he was at those meetings. The guy's I a moron. This informant, huh? Apparently, he he, he skated. Uh, there was no witness protection program back then, but they hit him somewhere. No, but the interesting thing about all that, it was a great score for the federal government to get Vito Genovese off the streets. He was a menace to society. He's going into the big heroin business and, and supposedly organized crime, as they mentioned, you mentioned to, in The Godfather, that they made a deal that they will not be dealing in drugs unless they're gonna lose all their connections with the law, all the judges they had in their pockets, all the politicians in their pockets. They didn't want to lose that. But then it was all, like you're saying, these gypsy underbosses that the leaders, like a John Gotti or somebody, would turn the blonde eye and they were doing 
big money. And then well, it- what also went against Genovese, uh, prior to him getting uh, entrapped in this sting, he was away for a long time. He was supposed uh, to be indicted for a homicide uh, in in uh, in the early forties. He skipped. He went to he went to Italy. Yeah, he was stayed there for many years, and you know slowly the witnesses die. That seems to be a habit. Mm-hmm. Witnesses die. Witnesses move. Witnesses decide they didn't see what they actually saw, and he came back. So one of the things that they used the trial was while he was in Italy, he set up this pipeline. Yep. Well, that, that's where it was set up and still is yeah, yeah, from but, Sicily. You know, even if he, you know, he 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 could have done that, but that was a nail in his coffin. In addition to the uh, the informant testifying against him, but this was the start of the downfall of of, of the mob because when Genovese was convicted, he got 15 years. He wasn't a young guy; so it was technically a life sentence. He goes to one of the toughest prisons in the United States, which which was. Atlanta Federal Penitentiary, and who's there but Joe Valachi on a different bid. Genovese thought he had something to do with him being in prison and put out a hit on him in prison. So Valachi had a choice, die or talk. So he talked. Valachi was not an informant. He never even thought about it, but he was marked because Genovese said he, he, he had to be one of the guys who turned me in. Either that or he was Andy, they were, you know, in the same prison. Valachi talks, and that was the turning point in the American mafia. When Valachi talked. Oh yeah, when he talked, it was definitely. J. Edgar Hoover had to admit that there was a mafia. He could no longer say there is no such thing because he'd been saying that for years. But now he couldn't say that anymore, and that was the start of the downhill slide for the American mafia. Well, yeah, because that's when, as you said, they started using the RICO Act, which was in the books, but nobody really used it. And the guy who really applied it was Bobby Kennedy then, when he became Attorney General. Because he yeah, went if after you everybody. want to read history and, and, and think about if uh, Genovese was never sent to prison for this, Malachi would have done his time, never testified, and who knows what would have happened in, in, in uh, subsequent years. But the mob would have been much stronger for many years, if Valachi didn't testify, and it was all because of Vito Genovese, was paranoid or just pissed off and wanted to kill Valachi. Yeah, but the power war was low. In those years of the 50s, I was on a day-to-day basis, just listening and overhearing as, as a, a young kid. But at all, all, all those dates you're mentioning, that's when they knew they had to get rid of Pofacci, they had to get rid of Albert Anastasia, these guys were getting too strong and going to try to take over the five families themselves in New York and assassinate Carlo Gambino. And that's how Colombo made that move. But, you know, it, it was an interesting time. It was like it, uh, nobody wanted to do drugs, but everybody realized they had to get some kind of control. And the Wild Hatter being Albert, you know, Al, Albert was the most feared guy out of all of them and 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 uh luciano right under him these dude they 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 killed themselves they don't give it they 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 were there well you know i i don't think frank costello killed anybody he was he was too smart he had people do it it's like like tony Accardo. Accardo in chicago he did all his work early on as a bodyguard for for um jesus capone and him and Yale Cohen were partners, and, but these guys, after that, 
They, they stayed far away from it, and they died of natural causes in their homes. And, and that, that, by that time, they were all in Palm Springs playing golf every day. But these new kids, that the 50s was an interesting time as far as destroying major, major players. It's, that was the transition. You, you had the psycho bosses who would do killings themselves. Right. Because they had so much power. They can do anything they want to do. The FBI said there is no mafia. Politicians were paid off. They had a president entering the White House, they thought, right. uh, you know, that, that uh, they could control. They had Joe Kennedy that they were controlling. They could do anything they wanted to do. Can you imagine the feeling of power? Oh, my God. Well, they, when Chicago elected Harry Truman, that was their guy. So they knew what that was, and that's why they were going to try to control the White House for the next 16 years, as, you, as you're bringing out with John Kennedy, and then they had Lyndon Bain Johnson lined up for the next eight years. So there were, that's it, and they could have did whatever they wanted to do. Those days are over. No, hello. But I don't know if we're in any better position than we are now, look who's in the White House now. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, at least uh, organized crime uh, is, a, uh, well, talking about the battalions, is a hell of a lot weaker, but the other ethnic groups are a lot stronger. Oh my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, you couldn't get away. You know, it, it, when I was growing up, I mean, I, I was a kid, but I remember every so often, and you know, every couple of weeks, that the, there was a dead body that, that the police would find in the middle of the street, in the trunk of a car. In fact, I told this story when this podcast just began, almost three years ago. Uh, there was a, 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 I lived right by Kennedy, uh, LaGuardia Airport, you know, the area called Jackson Heights, Queens. And I heard there was a guy shot in a parking lot of, uh, of one of the hotels by LaGuardia Airport. So I jumped on my bike and a couple of my friends and I went down there and in a Cadillac, it's always a Cadillac, was uh, little Augie Pisano. And his girlfriend. His girlfriend was uh, uh, the wife of a, a, a comedian named Alan Drake. Huh? Uh, he was a pretty famous comedian. But anyway, they had something going there. She was in the wrong place at the wrong time. There were witnesses. Nobody saw anything, no. And uh, they they got blown away in the car. Yep. All kinds of people around them. Yep. And I, and I saw this. I must have been about ten years old, maybe eleven. Wow. Yeah. It's a, that must like have a, been a bad impression. You know, <laughs> at a crime scene, they they keep the bodies there for as long as needed. Hours well, at, that, at that time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They didn't move in. It was something else, you know, for, for a, a kid to see. It's still burnt into my head what they look like. Yeah. yeah. It was uh, the hell of a thing for an 11 year old to see. But the cops didn't care. Yeah. You know, we just. Oh, yeah. They, they didn't even cover the cars at that time. They leave <laughs> well, it not, <laughs> It's just like, as long as they kill each other, we're not really that concerned. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's an attitude like that going on right now in major cities because there's certain groups just killing each other every Saturday night and on the weekends. Got to stay off the street on weekends. That's the answer. Hello. That's why I'm home all the time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> to, to wrap this up, after Valachi testifies, and it was no witness protection. Well, actually, it's called the, the witness security program. It's not the witness protection. But it, it didn't exist back then. So he was kept on, on a, at an army base for the rest of his life. But all he wanted to do was to outlive Vito Genovese. Because it, it, Genovese ruined his life. He had to testify. He was a, basically a prisoner for the rest of his life. 
And Genovese died about a year before Balashi did. Of uh, 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 Genovese died in prison in Atlanta Penitentiary. Yeah. Then Valachi died in whatever army base he was on. But that's that was his that was his goal. I used to go to his restaurant with my father, Joe's in the Bronx. Joe Valachi on the restaurant. He did. Yeah, off the off the uh, Bronx River Park. No, not the Bronx River Park. Right? I forgot. Anyway, you can see it from this parkway. I remember going there. It was a huge sign, Joe's, and that was his place. Valachi had it for years. I didn't, you know, this how, was the food? <laughs> <laughs> history. All right. So, Pat, whatever happened to with this informant? What what happens to him after this all goes down? To who? The informant. The, the, the young... I think. We don't know. No, he just... He, they changed his identity and moved to Virginia. <laughs> or some I, I understand. I, I understand he's your next-door neighbor. By the way, his name is uh, Cantaloupes. Believe it or not, that's his real name, or that's his, he's his just real last name. Cantaloupes. C a n t e l l o p s. It could be cantaloupes. No, because I mean that, that's how they get these names: Joey hamburgers, yeah. meatballs. This guy. I mean, they got crazy <laughs> names. Joey cantaloupe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Teddy right. testicles. All this stuff, man. Mm. All right. So, uh, R.I.P. Uh, you know, Genovese and uh, Joe Valachi. Yeah. Hello. You know, I, I'm starting to think. Imagine if the show kept going on; there's gonna be nobody to talk about. <laughs> They're eradicating everybody. Yeah, uh, right. Plenty of gangsters to go around. Uh, not, not colorful ones, though. Uh, not anymore. No. After well, John, got let's more, let's make some money. Go to commercial, and we'll go back to our mailbag, which I love. Okay. Thank you, Pat, for all that research, though. Welcome. We'll be right back. Today's show is being sponsored by Cordelione Fine Italian Food Products. This sponsor really means a lot to me. Cordelione Fine Italian has taken the heart and soul of the Godfather films and created a line of food products that include pasta sauce, balsamic vinegar from Modena, Italy, Genco extra virgin olive oil from Sicily. They created delicious pasta sauces Marinade, tomato basil, arrabbiato, and my favorite, Clemenza's meat sauce. You will be amazed. You will think your grandmother made the sauce herself. CorleoneFineItalian.com. That's CorleoneFineItalian.com. Okay, we're back. All right, let's get into it. So the first question is from Al. Al says, Johnny's clothing line. I sent in a question a while back about where to find it. You actually did read the question on the podcast recently. I continued trying to Google it with no success. Any updates on that? I, I'm told we're going to be up in two weeks. What uh, what the world are not going to have been saying we're going to be up in two weeks. The As you're seeing even on the news, bringing in merchandise from around the world is becoming more and more difficult. And uh, we thought we had it convinced. I mean, uh, um, we thought we had it solved. And um, we found out we had another hiccup that we had to go through because customs is backlogged now. So now you now you got it here. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, what a nightmare. I know. Have you seen a picture, Gianni, of New York Harbor? There are tankers out there. It looks like the D-Day invasion. I know. They're just in the water. They can't come in. 
There's 500 tankers off of L.A. Harbor, and that two two different crews abandoned the tanker, got on a boat and came in. They said, we're not staying out here. And they left. Oh, my gosh. So not not even, now they have no crew. It's anchored and just sitting there. That is such a nightmare. It all comes down to truckers. They don't have enough truckers to unload. And they don't have any longshoremen that want to work overtime to unload the trucks to get them to get, get them on the piers, first of all, the containers. And they have no trucks to take them to where they have to go to the destination. So you may be <laughs> buying Christmas gifts for Easter this year. Is your website up yet? This, I don't want to put up the site because the site is when you could start buying. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, my other, my food site, we've solved that. I got, fortunately, uh, Corleone Fine Italian. That'll be up in one week, and we have over 7,000 gift boxes ready to ship. So that that's going to be very lucrative. But, Good. so, I mean... Uh, Megan, I, I'm sure uh, your gift box and my gift box are in the mail. It Ooh. will be. It will be. So, if, you, if you like the products, that's easy. Okay, Definitely do. Right. Well, you have your family. Your family supports it all the time, Megan. Thanks. Oh, this, I was just home this past weekend at my parents' house. The sauces were in the fridge. <laughs> oh, no, I love it. Well, I mean, I'll tell you right now, not because they are sauces, but they are really good. I mean, they are. I, I, w- I would not get behind the brand. And that was one of the, the things I was emphatic about because I'm the uh, spokesperson for Corleone Fine Italian. And I'm proud to be it because everything, the San Maranzano tomatoes, the olive oil, everything is perfect. My so, parents love the arrabbiata sauce. That's oh their favorite. Too, yeah. So, stuff. next, we, we did two commercials now just in the mailbag. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> That's it all we can. All right, next is from George. George says, singer Mort Downey performed in Vegas at the Tropicana. Do you have any background on him or his son? He was a singer, Morton Downey? I thought he was a comedian. No, that's Morton Downey Jr. you're talking about. Who had, a, had his own show. His father, Morton Downey Sr., uh, was a performer. In what capacity? I thought as a comedian. Singer. Singer. Singer? Really? Oh. Yeah, I was on the Morton Downey Jr. show four times. You were? Really? Yeah. This guy, uh, he was the same way off camera that he was on. I constant, you know, you, you heard of people chain smoking? This mm-hmm. guy had a cigarette out of his mouth. He'd light one with the other. Oh, that well, is. Well, that, that, that was yeah. Dean and Frank on stage. Sammy Davis, they had ashtrays on the stage while they were doing their shows. No, but let's get back to how you got on that show. What were you doing? Tap dancing? <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you saw the show. No. <laughs> well, I did was, uh, uh, there was one about a kidnapping I was on. Uh, to lend my expertise. It always has something to do with some kind of crime. But that doesn't sound like it's a singer's show. To bring no, your, no, no. To bring father, you want to talk about it? The father was the singer, not Morton Downey Jr. Morton Downey Jr. had a talk show. That's what I was thinking. I, I mean, okay. Okay, no, no. This the father was long dead by the time Morton Downey Jr. had his show. Oh, okay. Uh, I but was on that but show. he was just an interviewer, like uh, so many That's other that. shows. And he was nasty. He would scream at everybody, including us. We were his guests. <laughs> I think I was, and I wasn't on by myself. It was always the panel. I was on with like two or three other people. Uh-huh. He'd always make sure, or his, his producers would always make sure that everybody have a, had a, had a different opinion. So they'd always be arguing. Oh, I used to go up that show. I must have lost like five pounds each uh, each episode. 
But uh, well, the controversy even back then. I mean, you know, uh, it was, it they was wanted good for me. it. That's how they, they stimulated it, it. Yeah, but this guy, I tell you, I, I said he, yeah, he's got to die of lung cancer. And sure enough, yeah, I mean, he was he was bad with the cigarettes. Man, moving right along. All right. Next is from Meredith. Meredith says, I love hearing about the behind the scenes of the movies Gianni talks about. Is there a movie that he feels has the most inaccurate depiction of the mafia? Not, not any that we did, but uh, I think the, the Sopranos, I think it's the joke of all the mafias I've ever, anything I've ever seen about the mafia. Uh, uh, Gal Daffini runs his club in a strip joint. That's really not bring any attention to the mob. I mean, it's, it's all, anyway, that's the only thing I've ever seen. Most of the good movies do their research and, they, and they're well done. Main Street, you never saw Main Street, did you, John? No. Not De Niro's first movie. Uh, very accurate of uh, the guys from Mulberry Street. That's what the movie was about. Right. And, uh, you know, all they wanted to do was to, to become uh, mobbed up in any way they could. Robert De Niro looked like he was 16. This is an old movie. Uh, uh, was that before Taxi, too? Pardon me? Was that before the movie Taxi? Way, way before Taxi. Really? Wow. Oh, when Taxi rolled around. Uh, this was his first movie. It's on, uh, you know, go to go to Netflix. It's on, uh, it's got to be on uh, YouTube because it's in the public domain now, I think. But, but yeah, it's, it's everywhere. I don't think any. When you just said there about motion pictures, they don't become public domain. They keep, yeah, well, they keep relicensing the licenses. I have some film. Well, one being The Godfather's fifty years old. We ain't. No, I watch. Uh, I, I watch really old gangster movies and old crime movies. Oh, if, if nobody wants to license them, yeah, yeah, there you go. Anyway, if you if you have a chance, see it because it's it's a classic. It must have, the the budget for that picture must have been like two hundred dollars. I mean, he, he shot on the street, handheld cameras. I mean, it was just great. You, could, was, you couldn't even buy film for two hundred dollars. Even that was Scorsese's first movie. I love it. Very well done, and it made Robert De Niro. Probably made Scorsese also. Probably. Yeah. Moving right along. All right. Next is from James. James says, "Great show. The wealth of knowledge from everyone is appreciated. I was curious what is known about the numbers racket in Harlem." It seems like Hollywood is obsessed with this number racket story from a racial revisionist perspective, where Frank Lucas is lionized and Italians are vilified, even though I'm guessing the only color they all cared about was green. Well, yeah. I mean, there's a TV show now called The Harlem Godfather. That's never going away because, and especially what's going on with Black Lives Matter, all of this revenge from white to blacks, Italians to, you know, or the blacks up there, they they uh, you know was taken from them by power. I, th I tell you, the real power up there, Gianni, who kept a really low profile, is Spanish Raymond Marquez. I don't even know. That's the, see, low profile. Yeah. <laughs> so he was he was he was the king of uh, numbers in what was known as uh, uh, Spanish Harlem back then. Uh, he contacted me, him and his son, who was an attorney contacted me about 20 years ago. Uh, Spanish Raymond was long retired, a tough guy. I mean, a really tough guy. He ran uh, uh, Spanish Harlem uh, numbers with an iron fist, but he wanted to do a book. So he, I, I get summoned to Florida and the Spanish Raymond is in his 80s, then he's sick, he's got cancer. 
So we talked about, I, I saw him in a place called Mrs. J Sacred Cow, it was a steakhouse on the, the west side. He didn't get seated quick enough. He ripped the payphone off the wall and threw it through a window. That's Spanish Raymond. Whoa. Oh, right. 85. And he didn't get arrested for that? <laughs> no, it, nobody arrested Spanish Raymond Marquez, except he had to get locked up like every two years. They call him up and said, it's your turn. He's a gambler. He wasn't no, hurting anybody. No, let me ask you a question. No, that was good money. He had to be paying somebody off. And everybody. Oh, I'm but saying. Anyway, I, I, you I, don't I have operate this. that kind of a numbers operation. Not in Harlem, but somebody getting their end. 30, 40 years. So anyway, me, Spanish Raymond, and his son sit down. His, his son's a lawyer. There's all the talking. I said, wow, what a story this guy's got. And I said, okay. And he said, what's the standard cut? I said, the 50, 50, 60, 40. You know, the, the 60, 40, the 60 goes to you. He said, no, no, we want 90, 10. I said, 90, 10, I'm gonna work for 10%. I said, I'm not doing it. So, so he threw you through the window. <laughs> <laughs> At that point, he had trouble standing up. He was well into his age, but he remembered the incident where he threw the phone, he ripped off the phone off the wall, threw it through the window. He said, you were there? I said, yes, I was there. Then he asked about how was Mrs. J and the people who owned the place. Nice oh, I, guy. Oh, I thought he did it when you, when you were waiting for dinner that he did day. This. And I was saying, uh, how could you sit down after you I was, do the... I started hanging around there in the early 70s. It was like a jazz joint, high-end steakhouse. I, I got lots of stories about the sacred cow, but that said, it was there the night he did that. But I just walked away from it. I said, I'm not back in that book for 10%. Hello. Anyway, he tried so many writers after me, and they all turned him down. And sure. Spanish Raymond never got his book. And he just passed away. But he was the numbers king of Harlem. Okay. And nobody knew it. I mean, you know, uh, nobody in the His name was in the press every now and then. But he, he was the man. All right. All right. Next one is from Che. Che says, hello, I was wondering if you knew Frankie Smug from Little Italy. If so, could you share some stories about him? Don't know him. Can't tell you a story. Frankie Smugs. What year are you talking about? Frankie Smug, I don't know. That's See, that's the whole thing. See, m most people don't realize, when I went to the hospital and got out, it's in my book, I never really went back down to Little Italy other than to have pasta. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw Carlo in the club, and if Frankie Smugs was sitting on his lap, probably I would have met him, but other than that, I don't know. Frankie Smugs. <laughs> Moving on. All right, next is from Mike. Mike says, hi, Mr. Russo. Not sure if you remember me, but we sat next to each other on a flight coming back from San Diego in June. You were great company and were telling me stories the entire flight. Do you have any good stories about Greg De Palma and the Westchester Premier Theater? Oh, man. Oh, my God. We could talk. Oh, that's, that's an episode. Greg De Palma took a, a major, major hit to protect Sinatra and a couple other people because of that payola on those tickets. I mean, that's, I mean, Greg De Palma was a, 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 an action guy with the Gambinos, and uh, they had the Westchester Premier Theater, and they were scalping tickets. And it's really not a, a glorifying story, but they got caught. And to protect Sinatra, they took all the, all the heat. Palma was a captain, no? Yeah. Yeah. No, I recall the incident. And, and, and the iconic picture. Yep. Moving right along. All right, next is from Lewis. Lewis says, Gianni, who do you think has been the most powerful, respected mob boss of all time? P. 
pick one. I could, mm-hmm. I would say, I, I could pick three right off the top of my head: Accardo, Gambino, and Costello. And very respected, so they died till they died. Joe Bonanno would have been up there, right? Screwed up his own career at the end, got himself yeah. kidnapped, made an idiot out of himself. No, I mean, yeah, they're, they're the only three I could I could relate to that I know anything about, and I would have to say, till they died, they were respected. Good answer. All right, next one is from Joseph. Joseph asks, how many episodes do you guys think you will do until you will be done with the podcast? What, what makes you think we're going to stop? <laughs> we enjoy this as long as you keep tuning in. As long as there are gangsters, we will be here. Or people trying to be them. Or, you there know, you go. Yeah, yeah. It's fun. <laughs> they make our lives colorful. <laughs> and give us material. And your letters and cards, everybody that's listening really contribute to the show as you could tell and if there's ever a slow moment uh, we can always sing or dance or whatever right no that, that ain't gonna happen very well do that we'll let you do that doesn't play well on a podcast we'll, we'll let you yeah. sing and dance with this watch <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think we will wrap it up on that note what do you all guys right. think i think as long as we got the time in and um we're ready to, to say goodbye to you all unfortunately, until next week. But please, the reviews make the difference. We're seeing our audiences grow. Spread the word. We love you all. Stay safe. Good night, Pat. Good night, Megan. Until next week. Good night, guys. Bye-bye. Good night. If you're feeling sad and lonely, there's a service I could render. I'm the one who loves you only. I could be so warm, so tender. Call me. Don't be afraid, you can call me. Maybe it's late, but just call me. Tell me and I'll be around. Thank you for tuning in to the Hollywood Godfather podcast. You can contact Gianni Russo, Patrick Picciarelli, or myself, Megan Horan, with your questions and comments through the contact section of our website, hollywoodgodfatherpodcast.com, which is where you can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter. You can also call and leave us a message at 646-776-3038. Remember to follow us on Instagram at Hollywood Godfather and on Facebook, as well as leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd like to know what you like about what we're doing, what you'd like to hear in the future, and anything else you might suggest to improve our podcast. Most importantly, hit the subscribe button. We'll be back next week with stories of the mob and Hollywood, as well as answers to your messages. Good night. Tell me and I'll be around. I'll be around. Give me a call.